Scaling Up Nation, when was the last time you thought about your insurance coverage? For me, it is not very often, but I know for a fact that you sleep soundly at night knowing that you have it. That means it's important and that means you need to understand what it is that you have. It means you need to understand where your liability is and you need someone that you can trust to have that conversation with. Several years ago, I met Mike Hyam at an AWT convention of McGowan Insurance Group. And at the time, I had our insurance through a local broker who is an extremely nice guy and we had had our auto policies with him for years. And when I started my company, I naturally called him and he got us coverage. The thing is, he did not understand the water treatment industry. So he was giving us the best coverage he knew to get us without understanding the industry. I had a conversation with Mike at that convention and he asked some very good questions, questions that I didn't have the answers to. And I'm sure glad he asked those questions because folks, I did not know to ask them, but as soon as he asked them, I knew that I did not have all the coverages that I need. Think of all the coverages out there property, general liability, professional liability, workers' compensation, employee practices liability. Folks, there's even insurance for cyber liability. And I have to tell you, I did not know to ask about that one, but Mike did because this is what he does. He serves the water treatment industry and he knows that there is a potential liability because of the remote access that we do with our controllers. Not only did he get me the right coverage with the right company, he was able to give me advice on making sure that we had proper policies in effect to make sure that we were protecting ourselves and our customers. A lot of insurers can only write through one insurance carrier. McGowan Insurance Group represents dozens of carriers like Donegal Insurance. And when we go to renew, I can't tell you how awesome it is that they are able to look at multiple suppliers to make sure that we're getting the best coverage, but we're also getting the best value. I know without a doubt because McGowan Insurance Group understands the water treatment industry that we are getting that each and every time we renew with them. They do liability, benefits, bonds. They are a full service agency. Give the fine folks at McGowan Insurance Group a call today and tell them that Trace sent you or visit them on the web at mcgowaninsgrp.com. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, the host for Scaling Up H2O. Summer is coming. Wow. I mean, what a strange... 2020. I bet if you were going to a fortune teller, nobody could have told you how second quarter 2020 would have gone. It's just been amazing. 
And, you know, a lot of times we think about all the bad things, but there's so many good things that have come out of all the stay-at-home orders, of doing work in a very different way. I know I am impressed so much by how much work my team could get done at home. I always knew that they were hard workers, but there were a lot of people out there that really thought that team members had to be in the office in order to get work done. And that's been a theme on the mastermind calls, the Rising Tide Mastermind, where we have just been so impressed with how much stuff people are getting done and they didn't have to come into the office to do it. In fact, a good friend of mine, he was getting ready to buy a new building before COVID-19 started. And now he doesn't think he's going to do that. He thinks he's going to do a remodel on his existing building, and he's going to allow people to work from home more often. They seem to like it. Uh, He definitely didn't have any slump in activity and production. So there you go. There's a good thing that came out of it. People are a lot happier. He's not having to move. And folks, I can't think of a more horrible thing in life than to go through moving especially when you move your business. That's just, that's just scary, especially as an owner. I remember when we moved to our present building and I disconnected the server and I disconnected the phones. And I was like, okay, our business is officially dead. And then of course, the first thing I did when we got into the new building is I hooked up the new server. I got the phones going and then I felt a little bit better. And we of course had the phones sitting on boxes because nothing was unpacked, but we could answer the phones. Of course, now... Phones are a lot more technologically advanced. You can roll those over. We have soft phones where you can simply have somebody answer the phone at home and it's just like the office. Technology is just incredible and we're, we all seem to be using it very well. Well, the person that is going to join me on this episode of Scaling Up H2O is a really good friend of mine. Who am I kidding? He is a great friend of mine. Of course, I'm talking about Mark Lewis. Mark Lewis has been on the show several times, mostly by his own request, but the Scaling Up Nation seems to like him as much as I do. And Mark does a lot of work like I do with the Association of Water Technologies. And Mark was asked a while ago to do a webinar on neglected accounts. And we're going to talk about what neglected accounts are. So if you would, please welcome my friend, Mark Lewis, as we explore what we should be doing if we find ourselves the owner of a neglected account. My lab partner today is returning guest, Mark Lewis, CWT. How are you, Mark? Trace, I am doing very well today. Well, you are no stranger to Scaling Up H2O. Uh, I think you were the most requested guest. I think we revealed in either episode 31 or 34 that you were responsible for most of those requests. But nevertheless, you are the most requested guest on Scaling Up H2O. You and I, of course, have been friends for I don't know how many years. What do you think it is? 14 years. Has it really been 14 years? 2005, Palm Springs. Well, we have been friends for a while. You have been extremely supportive on this podcast. I want to thank you for that. I know you are always telling water treaters if they don't know about Scaling Up H2O, that they need to listen to Scaling Up H2O. 
You help me contribute content. Uh, you've just been a great friend of the show. And just recently, you did a webinar for the Association of Water Technologies. They have a, a group within the AWT called the Young Professionals Group. And uh, Michelle Farmery originally started that. And somebody asked you to go ahead and if you would contribute with some of the content that they had. And you created a webinar. Tell us about that. Yeah, Allison reached out to me and she said, uh, asked me if I would do a webinar on uh, neglected accounts. And um, I uh, asked for a little definition and, and she said, well, whatever you feel is a neglected account. And uh, so we did, we sat down and, and I, as I thought about things, what are neglected accounts? Um, who's responsible? Because a lot of times water treaters get the blame, and I don't care if it's from the chiller mechanic, the boiler mechanic, they always want to point their finger at the water treater. But as no matter who's responsible, it goes back to what are we doing and what do we do once we have an issue that's brought up? So I thought that that would be a great opportunity to to highlight some of these neglected systems or neglected accounts and how we go from the beginning and work through the problem right on down to a solution and uh, go that route with it. So. And you, of course, being generous with all your material, you thought it would be a great topic to talk about here on Scaling Up H2O. I did. So thank you for that. How about we start out with defining what you originally asked for and, of course, never got, so you defined it yourself. What is a neglected account? Well, if you go back to what we are responsible for, you know, we're responsible for controlling corrosion in the system, preventing mineral deposition, controlling microbiological activity, and controlling the dirt and debris, the four legs of the stool, which you love to illustrate um, and it's part of your mission. Um, neglect is when we don't take care of one of those things. And, and whether it is our fault, something we're, we are not doing, or whether it is something that the customer's not doing, um, that's the part that, that we have to point out. And uh, I think Jay Farmer says, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. And so when we find out um, that an account is being neglected in, in any way that it is, it's, our, it's our, our job to kind of get that back on track. And so if we were to talk about neglect, because we're talking about neglected account, uh, Webster defines that very easily as both a verb and a noun. And, and in the verb form, it's to fail to care for properly. So if we're not caring for that piece of equipment, if we're not caring for that water or caring for that energy, that is neglect. And then and the noun side of things, and that is the state or fact of being uncared for. Um, and what we want to do is we want to remove that word neglect from all conversation um, and, and say that we've done everything we can or we've documented everything we can in order to properly care for these systems. Mark, you mentioned equipment and reporting, but I really think there's another side to this, and that is the customer. Because if the customer doesn't know what you do, and if they don't understand the value that you bring, you're neglecting them too. Absolutely. And, and, and so when we talk about customers, okay, we do have, uh, you asked what is a customer? And let's just say that a customer is a business or a people who have chosen to put their water treatment needs in our hands. And then we also have prospects. And prospects can be neglected as well. And, and those are businesses or people 
who we want them to put their water treatment needs in our hands. And so when we look at the, the customer, what are our responsibilities to the customer? You know, it is to prevent the deposition onto the wetted surfaces of the evaporative cooling system. It is to control the corrosion of the wetted portions of the evaporative uh, cooling system. And you know, I, I'm always, I laugh at people when we have a piece of metal that's outside of the water and it has some rust or some corrosion on it. Well, your water treatment program's not working. It's not wetted, the chemicals are in the water. Yeah, a great example I can think of of that is the louvers on a cooling tower that occasionally get splashed with high concentrated water and then evaporate. And then somebody comes out and says, you're scaling up my cooling tower because look at all this evaporative salts that are on there. And of course it's not scale, it's evaporative salts. What's the difference between those two, Mark? The difference between scale and corrosion, scale is when the minerals actually precipitate out of solution. Evaporative salts are, is when the water that can hold those minerals has evaporated away and left those solids behind. So. Anytime a customer wants to know the difference between scale and evaporative salts, look at it. Is water flowing here? If water's flowing and you have deposits adhered to either the, the PVC field material or onto the chiller barrel, things like that, that is scale because those solids have been drawn out of solution. It's always wet. If you have water that's splashed somewhere, that's just a result of, of the minerals in the water being left behind and the water doing what it does, which is evaporating. So as we as we look at this trace, the you know when we understand the difference between scaling and evaporative salts, so corrosion is nothing more than the metal trying to revert back to its more stable state, and we have biological or microbiological growth. So microbiological, uh, you know, controlled microbiological, we cannot eliminate all of the biological matter that's in the system, but what we can do is reduce the house that this that this bacteria lives in, which is known as biofilm. And biofilm is four times more insulative than scale-forming deposits. And so it's very important that we maintain a clean system from a biological standpoint. And then we got the general dirt and debris. And if we could sit there and, and, and have a stool with four legs and corrosion and, and scale prevention and biological uh, control and dirt and debris all on labels, all put on that stool. And then you stand on top of the stool because this is your program. And if you don't take care of one of those legs, just like someone coming and kicking that leg out, that program is not very stable and you're gonna fall off and get hurt. And we don't want you to get hurt. So we want you to address all four areas of the stool. So a lot of us think about neglected accounts of just simply, I forgot to service this, or I haven't seen this customer for the last 10 service visits. But you're really saying if we're not doing every part of what you described in that four-legged stool, if we're not treating for corrosion, if we're not treating for scale, if we're not treating for biological uh, prevention, if we're not treating for to get the dirt and debris out of the system, essentially we're neglecting those accounts. Absolutely, because if we think about this two ways, we can, we can neglect the customer, and this is the people side of things, or you can neglect the equipment, and that's the system that we are being paid for to come in and treat. And so any, if we don't do either one of those two, then we're failing at our job, and we're talking about the customer here. And so as we talk about the, the customer, Okay, we always want to come in and put on our customer's hat. We want to take the stance of being in their position. Okay, we want to look at things from where they look at from. We want to educate them. 
okay? And, and we wanna point out any possible issues that we see. We run a series of tests and then we look at the data from the chiller and we go up and observe the cooling tower basin and, and fill. And, and once we have all that data, then we can come back and, and we can, can say that this is the condition of your equipment. Now, our job is to go back and explain to the customer the condition that their equipment is in. And so we've got to educate them. When we see things that are not as efficient as they should be, not as in control as they should be, things that are going to cause us issues or problems, all those things, we have to turn, take that knowledge and give back to the customer because I can't change the way he operates his system. I can't change a lot of the things that they do on a day-to-day -day basis, and I'm only there once a month. So this term neglect, okay, is it neglect from me or is it neglect from the customer? And I know who's gonna get the blame if something fails. It's gonna be me. Yeah, when in doubt, blame the water treatment. I've been there one day, they've been there 30, but yet it's all my fault. So that's why documentation is so important. You go ahead and you write that stuff down, and then you go back and you explain it to the customer what needs to be done to their system. Mark, to add to that, I work with a lot of people that are our clients or they have retained us to come in to see if their water treatment company is doing a good job. And almost always, the client is confused because they do think water treatment is that magic bullet. They can neglect proper operation for 29 days, and then the one day that you are there, Mark Lewis, running all your tests and making sure all the products are working properly, that's supposed to make up for those other 29 days. And that's just not the case. So what is something that we can do so the client understands how important it is so they operate properly those other 29 days? Because somehow we're missing that conversation with our clients. I think one of the things that we, we have to be prepared to do is to be able to get enough data points that tell us that I'm looking at numbers from today, but I can go back and see what the average has been for the rest of the month, okay? So, well, Mark, how do you do that? Okay, and, it's, and it's, it's by having enough tools, by having enough data points in order to do that. If, if I have a water meter on the cooling system, okay, and I can say that it looks like they've averaged X number of gallons per day, I can sit back and say, okay, if they've averaged X number of gallons per day, then they should have had X number of gallons of bleed, and I can then go back and say how much uh, water treatment products I should have used and said, okay, I should have used 14 gallons last month between that day and this day, and I've used 13 and a half. I can assume my system has been pretty much in control the entire month. Same thing with biocide additions. If you're feeding a quart three times a week, do the math. That's three quarts a week, okay? And then times four, it's three gallons. You should have used three gallons over the course of the month. And, and if your inventory says you've only used a gallon and a half, you've got a problem, okay? We can run specialized studies. We can run ATP tests, we can run dip slides. Are we in control? Now, do we think we're feeding one thing and we're actually feeding another? So it, it, is, the, it is the paying attention to the entire system about what's going on uh, to tell us what that machine is doing by looking at approaches, temperatures, uh, those kind of things. It tells us how the machine is operating. And yeah, there's going to be a little variation, but we should have enough data 
to know that this chiller normally operates around this approach range, um, or this chiller normally operates around this delta T, and if I've got this delta T on the condenser, I normally have this delta T on the evaporator side of things. And, and so by having all that data, we can go back and we can push back on the customer about what's going on. If you've got a makeup meter, that's great. If you've got a makeup and a blowdown meter, that's even better because you can see what's going on. Um, and you know the, the plant has fewer and fewer people today than they did 25 years ago. Oh gosh, it's been 30, 32 years ago when I started in the business. We used to walk into a business, a building, and they may have six or seven guys in the engineering department. Well, today we've got one guy for seven buildings. Right. So they do very little, which means we do more. Well, let me let me qualify that. They do very little with water treatment. They're doing probably seven times the amount of work that they used to do because of all those buildings. A lot less but, coffee gets consumed today than that is true. That is true. So so as we we have to be able to, to gather the data to know what's going on. And, and I'll say that one of the best things that I do is, is you've got to um, adjust the times when you go into a building. If you always service an account first thing in the morning, you're gonna know what that building's like first thing in the morning. You need to rotate your schedule so that I'm here one afternoon, I'm here one day around noon, I'm here on a Friday, I'm on a Monday, I'm on a Tuesday, because if the system shuts down over the weekend and overflows, then what's gonna happen is on Monday morning, everything's gonna be low. But by Tuesday afternoon, everything is back in line. By Thursday, my, my inhibitor level may be a little bit on the high side because I've adjusted my pumps based upon where it is in the cycle. So by adjusting the, the service days and, and the service times of when I come in, then I can get a better picture about what's going on in that system. I remember when I was surveying a prospective account and I always asked the question, what do you like most about your current water treatment provider? And they told me his predictability. He was always here at the same time, day and month, each and every month, and they were having issues. So I decided to show up on third shift and I found the issue, but because he was so regular, he never saw that issue. And that's going to put you into a position to, to provide another service to the customer, which is you always should provide a wish list. And, and, and in my definition of wish list is something that you want that you don't currently have. Okay. So, and I tell my customers, look, these are, ne these are necessities. We've got to have these things. These are the things that's going to make our job better, easier, more efficient, et cetera. So if you have time, if you have money, let's do these things. Upgrading a controller, upgrading a pump, moving a feed point or, or whatever, these things that are going to improve the system. And so by doing that, it gives you a chance to educate the customer because you may want to include updating some controllers or updating some equipment, adding some water meters. And you say, well, um, how is that gonna help? And let's say we talk to a customer about adding uh, online controllers, mo remote monitoring where we can see what's going on, we can get alarms. Um, we had a customer who uh, we had just updated their controllers to an um, a online unit that sent out alerts. And, and sure enough, it was a unit where we, feed, we fed PT, a product controlled on PTSA. Um, and what happened was at four o'clock, we got a low connectivity alarm. 
And then right after that, we got a, a chemical alarm limit timer alarm. And then we got a low, low uh, connectivity alarm. Well, what happened is, is the, the, the makeup meter stuck open, okay? So the cooling tower started overflowing and, and it started overflowing at, at some rate like 150 gallons a minute, big two inch makeup meter. And it's gonna overflow all weekend because their people leave at four. We got our first alarm at four. And we were able to reach back out and call them, and they were able to come in and, and correct that. Now, if you do the math, 200 gallons a minute times two and a half days, I think it works out um, with like four or five dollars per thousand to somewhere over six or seven thousand dollars just in water and sewage for that one week. They pretty much paid for that controller, obviously. It paid for that controller. So, um, so those kind of things, you got to have a story. And basically what you're selling there is insurance. So by updating this controller, I'm able to do this. Now, if you do it once, it may pay you back. If it happens a couple of times, and guys, we're dealing with mechanical issues. And I don't care if it's a, a, a solenoid, a valve that sticks open, a makeup meter that, uh, a, a makeup float that doesn't shut off. How many people have walked in and the makeup valve's just dumping water because the balls come unscrewed? So, you know, there's several things there that you can have, and, and it's all neglect. And everything we pointed out hasn't really been our issue, but we've been part of the solution because we were able to bring in ideas that can teach the customer how to be prepared to take care of their problems or at least be notified of their problems. Mark, you brought up earlier that engineers are doing a lot more with a lot less people. And the sad truth about that is the floats on the cooling tower makeup valves, they're floating off and nobody's there to catch it. There's a lot more neglect that I see today than I did years ago because there just isn't a team there to catch that. And they rely more and more on us to be able to tell them that. But again, we're just there one day a week. Is there a solution to bridge the gap? I don't think, I mean, I think the, the biggest solution there is, is to go ahead and, and be able to inform your customers. I, there again, I think it's communication to where if we're not going to be able to do this physically, we've got to do it electronically. Mm -hmm. And so never would I say totally reduce or eliminate a visit just because you can see what's going on on a controller. Um, you know, I still think that minimum monthly, you got to go by and visit every cooling tower that's out there. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of, well, it's a small tower. Let's just go and let's do it once a quarter instead of, you know, once a month. We can save money that way. Guys, we need to charge service fees on that because at that point, you are neglecting the customer because you chose to be their vendor and you're not giving the system the attention that it deserves. So let's talk about that for a second. So the customer doesn't fully understand water treatment. I think that's what that boils down to. And now we're in a conversation with them. Maybe it is a small cooling tower system. And we're saying, Mr. Customer, here is our proposal to come out each and every month to take care of all of these issues that we've covered on this show so far. And they say, it sounds great, but I just don't have this money in the budget. Instead of every month, can you just come out every quarter? What should the water treatment professional say to that customer? You got to say that, that because there's so many things that can go wrong inside of 30 days, I can't extend it out past, past that. You know, monthly is, is the minimum that you should ever go by and visit uh, a cooling system. Uh, and, and, and I tell my customers, you may not have time 
to, to, to check A, B, and C, and D. But when you walk by the cooling tower, look at the overflow. Make sure it's not overflowing. Look at the bleed valve. If water's coming out of the bleed valve, look at the controller. Is there a light on? If there's a light on, fine. If there's no light on, no. If there's, if there's the other light on, you ought to have one or two chemical pumps that are, that are the, you can hear them actually thump. Take a second and stop and listen to the, the pump energize. And if it's a click, not a clunk, then it's probably not prime. I mean, there's, there's things that you can do to not really make a special trip, but when I'm walking through the mechanical room, I slow down just a little bit and I observe. And so by getting your customers and uh, educating them enough to where, look, I don't want you to stop, spend 25 minutes running a bunch of these tests, but I want you to be observant. And even if you have them do nothing but write down the number that's on the controller, at least you know that they're stopping by there and they're looking at it. And that is so beneficial to the program because when do, when do issues happen? The day after you're there. And so, you know, for 29 days, they're in this, this condition that's not right. And so if you can have a customer call you, at least you can you can have an arrangement to where you stop back by and you adjust, you can fix, et cetera, and get that system back in the parameters. Because remember, if we're not feeding the amount of inhibitor, we're doing two things. We're, we're accelerating corrosion, and B, we are increasing the potential for scale deposition. Okay, If it's a biocide, we're allowing microbiological growth to get above the limits that are acceptable. And on microbiological growth, you know, one of the things I will say, especially with uh, what's going on the last three to four years with Legionella, you know, our agreement for the most part in most of our um, accounts is we are going to control the general microbiological growth below a certain level. We don't, it's not so much that we are controlling specific bacteria. And, and I think that is an issue that where a lot of folks are, are confused, you know. If, if you're gonna get to where you've got to do, control every microbiological growth, and, and when I throw the Legionella term out there, you know, you, you gotta have a program to do that and adjust that, but you're gonna need some help in order to do that. They've gotta upgrade their equipment, they've gotta, up, they've gotta upgrade uh, what they're doing in order to, to accomplish all that. And you can't get that aggressive on biological matter with the same program that you would have just with a normal water treatment program. If you're running a higher halogen level, you better have something in there to prevent against corrosion. That's a great point. Um, we, we're talking about a lot of stuff here, just all, all over just general account service, but you're right. There are so many water treaters that I talk to that when they do a Legionella test or if a customer does one, say, quote unquote, behind their back, and they're praying that it comes back negative because when it comes back positive, the knee-jerk reaction is the water treatment program is failing. And that is not the case. You said it beautifully. The reason that we are there is to protect the equipment. So the longevity is there that we don't uh, go through the chiller faster than, than we replace it as faster than we need to. And then at the same time too, making it more efficient. Those are the two things that our water treatment program does. It's not to eliminate a specific biological species, Legionella. Now, if you're right, if we were to do that, we would have the halogen level, the chlorine level, the bromine level, whatever it is so high that it would be so incredibly corrosive to the material that we were trying to protect from corroding to begin with. 
So I think another way that we neglect accounts is we do not have the tough conversation with our clients about Legionella. One, for some reason, a lot of water treaters just shy away from understanding Legionella. And there is this false sense of security that if they don't know about it, they're not gonna be held responsible for it. Or if the customer doesn't know about it, they can't be held liable for it. And you and I have been involved with this a whole lot and for a very long time, because we were both on the board with the Association of Water Technologies when ASHRAE was writing the 188 document. And that is not the case. That is considered negligence. And, and when we're talking about neglected accounts, if you are not having a conversation about Legionella, about what a water treatment program does, and folks, everybody should be doing something with their client if they will let you to prevent people getting Legionnaire's disease. Another thing I wanna say about that is even if we were doing that, it's not that we're gonna eliminate Legionella bacteria. That's impossible. People think, oh my gosh, I found one colony forming unit in my cooling tower. My water treatment program is failing. No, it's not. Now you activate your water management plan and now you do the control measures to make sure you get that back in line. And probably one colony forming unit is within line. You might just make a little adjustment or you might run another test, but we have to have that conversation. Yeah, even if you look at uh, the state of New York, which has some of the most strict guidelines around, they talk about total Legionella, and we'll talk about the difference in total and then the different sero groups. Total Legionella, I think the city of New York is less than 10. I think the state is less than 20 or vice versa. I don't live in New York, so don't. Don't write in. Don't write it in. Uh, your trace doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, if, if your total Legionella count is below this level, then you don't really need to do anything. You need to continue on with your plan. If it's above this, then you're going to take a step and, and retest. And as long as it comes back down to less than 10 or 20, you're, you're fine. And if you go back and you look at where the, the, the highest number of Legionella cases have been found, there is, there's, there's some guidelines put out by the, the Legionella experts that said, and they're different, serogroup one and all other Legionella. So basically, uh, anything less than 10, I think it's colony forming units of serogroup group one, is determined to be a low, a very low level of risk. From 10 to 99, it's a low level of risk. From 100 to 999, it's a moderate risk. And anything above 1,000 colony forming units of serogroup group one is determined to be a high risk for Legionella. And then, but when you look at the other ones, everything has stepped up a step. So if we look at anything less than 100 colony forming units of, of all those other Legionella bacteria, serogroups uh, two through 14, blue, white, those, uh, less than 100 is a low, uh, a very low level, and then 100 to 1,000 is a low level, and above, a th and then, it, so it, it goes that route. So what do we do when we get a positive? And, and you know, you're either going to get a non-detect or, or you're going to get a number. And so people who only want to see the non-detects, um, they have to understand, okay, when you get a positive and you're going to get a positive and, and most people are going to put that positive in a bright, bolded red and it scares your customers to death. So if a customer wants to do Legionella testing, 
the first statement you should have is, what are you going to do when you get a positive? Not if, when. I love that. What are you going to do when? That's because you told me that, Well, Trace. that's why I like that's it. That's why you love it. <laughs> but it makes sense. If you're going to test for something, eventually you're going to find it. And the systems that we're talking about, they're primary breeding grounds for this stuff. So, and it's coming in the makeup water. So eventually we are going to find that. So we are going to get, eventually we are going to get a positive. Okay. So where are they comfortable? And, and what are we going to do at different levels in order to feel good about what we have? And, and so that's the first step. If you don't have that conversation with your customer before you start running the Legionella test, I think that's neglect because you're doing something without educating the customer. And we don't want to lead people down the wrong path. We want them to be informed so that they can take and, and take this knowledge up the chain the other side because, because we have an engineer that we work for, but that engineer has a property manager and that property manager has an owner. And so if, if everyone knows what steps we're going to do, then everyone's in line with it because ultimately the building owner is the one that's held accountable. But everyone has to be on the same page as, as far as going up because that the neglect thing, we want to take neglect off a table and anytime we have a, an issue. Um, and so that's how we have to do it. We have to have a plan before we move forward with, with the testing. Mark, when we now discover that an account is neglected in one way or another, let's talk about what we do. So let's, let's pose the different scenarios that we will have. So let's start out with equipment. So we're doing everything we can, but the customer is neglecting their duties with what they need to do. Maybe it's cleaning the cooling tower. Maybe it's scheduling a chiller maintenance. What do we do there? Well, there again, everything, everything's on fall back to education. So if, if a customer's not cleaning a cooling tower, what we, we have to do is come back and point out what are gonna be some of the causes for that. You gotta remember, we're putting a lot of particulates in the basin of the cooling tower and, and they're eventually gonna get um, heavy enough or thick enough to where they're pulled over and into the suction of the cooling tower and these small particulates are gonna go right through the screen. But now we've got this, these abrasive materials running through our system and it's gonna cause erosion, okay? Or it's gonna plug up some of the small orifices in, in cooling systems, you know? Uh, people love to go with plate and frame heat exchangers because uh, they're, they're small in space. They don't require a lot of space, but yet they transfer heat very well. They have very small orifices and you start plugging these things up and the only way to clean them is to, is to take them apart and wash them out. So if we don't do this maintenance, it's going to require you to do some other maintenance. And everyone knows that when, when a chiller has a problem or a, heating, a cooling system has a problem, it rears its ugly head in the summertime when you need it the most. So how do you take a piece of equipment offline when you have to have it? Right. And so what happens is at that point in time, the customer says, oh, well, what can we do to get by until the fall when we can take this thing offline? We're going to run lower cycles. We're going <laughs> to run higher treatment levels. We're going to ex accept the fact that we are... Um, operating less efficient on our chillers and things like that. And then come fall, because the fall brings cooler weather, they forget about it and they don't want to do anything until next year. And that's where we have to, uh, there again, educate the customer that, 
guys, we've taken the controller and we've reduced our cycles by 30% so that our water has the tendency to um, hold more solids in solution and maybe even dissolve some of those minerals that have already precipitated out. I'm running my treatment level at a higher rate. I'm running the, the, the concentration ratio lower to create a lower saturated water. You know, where I used to be uh, super saturated, now I'm just saturated. And, I, and to create room for those minerals to come back into solution. Um, so not only am, am I, because of the issue, I'm sacrificing product, you're sacrificing water, you're sacrificing power, and what happens is we don't want that to become the new norm. Okay, well the new norm is I just pay 30% more for power. Let's go ahead and return this piece of equipment back to normal because that's where we're gonna see our savings. And you know we should be to where we're saving the customer enough money, our water treatment invoice or bill is, is not even uh, noticeable. So if we have a conversation with our customer and they see the true value in the service that we provide, they understand whatever our monthly, annual, whatever it is invoice that we send, it is saving them more water and more energy than that thing probably times to the 10 power. I think you've done a great illustration where if you're operating um, 500 tons of cooling, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, uh, with a uh, chiller that operates at uh, 0.6 kilowatt hours at seven cents a kilowatt hour electrical cost, that chiller uh, operating at 500 tons will cost you $184,000 a year, okay? And you ask some of your friends around the United States, what would you charge to treat a 500 tons of operating chiller? Um, and I think the number you use is like six to twelve thousand dollars. You're right. Chem that's your chemical cost. Okay, one millimeter of calcium carbonate deposit will reduce the efficiency of your chiller by ten percent. Theoretically, costing you eighteen thousand dollars more in electrical costs to operate that chiller. Now, what's really hard is people don't understand that. That that energy bill, people assume that energy bill is what it is, but they don't understand what it should be. And so your worst case, your water treatment bill is 12. They are very happily paying $18,000 more because they don't know any better. So it is up to us to understand, is this chiller operating effectively? Because if we see a trend to where it's not, it's a lot of money and it's money that they're having to pay that they don't realize. And so that's where, when we look and, and see what the, the approaches are of these chillers, when we look at the, the temperatures and the pressures and we see that is this chiller operating like it should, we can actually see where we've gone astray and bring them back in line. And, and even if they have to take a machine offline, open the inbell and brush the tubes, and they'll spend five or $6,000 to do that, they would have spent 18,000 in just electricity. And that's a ton better than me saying, well, we're, we're getting into a scaling condition. Looks like your chiller may be start beginning to be fouled. Let me cut back on the connectivity and let me increase the inhibitor and let me do something on the buy side thing. Those costs will far outweigh that little bit of mechanical thing. What we can't do is let our minor adjustments become the new norm. Everybody pays then. The customer's gonna pay, we're gonna pay. Um, because 
it's the customer will then think, my system is unique. It can't run at maximum cycles. We had an issue back here that no one addressed, and it's, it's a great time to, to, to use it as a teaching point. When we let our connectivity go above the set point, when we let our barrel go empty because someone was supposed to change it and they didn't, when we watch and we see that our pumps aren't primed, when we let that happen, bad things happen. And those bad things will cause us to take extraordinary steps to kind of get us back to what the old normal was, and we may not ever get there. You know, something that you say that comes to mind is you can't solve a mechanical or an operational problem with chemical. And that's exactly what we're talking here. We have to have that conversation with our customer. And I love the fact that you brought it back to dollars. Some people just don't understand what water treatment is. You can explain it to them, you can explain it to them, and they're agreeing with you all the way along the way. But when you start bringing that back to, if you don't fix this problem, this is how much money it's going to cost you. And you can either spend this money now once and get it fixed, or you can pay for it every single month until you do get it fixed. Normally, things start to happen. Now, let me ask you this question, Mark. We talked about the customer side when it was their equipment. So now it's a piece of our control equipment. And maybe it is a pump that just won't keep its prime. Or maybe it's a controller that something's going on and it's not holding its program. Or there's some problem with it. And the customer owns it, but now we're responsible for it. We come to them and we say, you need a new controller. Here's a proposal for it. And a month goes by and we still have the old controller. Another month goes by, we still have the old controller. And our program is suffering for it. And as we just spoke about, so is their money outlay because they're paying for all these utilities. What do we do then? You have several options. Um, you know, one is increase the service frequency, which is going to cost you money. The, the other thing is you have to look at the value of the account. Is the value of this, this account um, worth telling the customer that you are going to start maintaining the equipment for a fee? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you give them the option. Would you like to replace this or would you like me? And, and if you want me to do it, I can do that. But there is a $50 a month fee for me to maintain this. Um, and, and you'll be some amazed at how many people can, can find money this way. They can't find money over there. They can't buy new. They can repair. Yeah, there's something with the budget. Uh, they've got an operating budget and a capital expenditure budget. So right. maybe you can get it from one to the other. And, and so, you know, the one thing we want to do is we want to give people options and, and however those options are. Uh, and I've got customers who have purchased equipment and it's still sitting in the box in the mechanical room and they won't get it installed. Doesn't do too well in the box. It doesn't work in the box. It looks pretty. It, but it, it doesn't work. And the only thing I can do there is, is there again, start educating that because we don't have this equipment on the system, our boiler system is not operating like it should. Our cooling tower system is not operating like it should. And, and ultimately, the one thing that we've got to remember, it's their equipment, their power bill, their water bill, et cetera. And I think sometimes you have to remind them of that. If this controller that wouldn't hold calibration, where we were operating at seven cycles previously, wouldn't hold calibration, I came in, we found it at three cycles. When you put dollars to that and do the quick math, it doesn't take long, then they can see. 
I had a hospital that used to run once through softened water, their uh, packing lands on the feed water pumps. And if the pump was on, water came in, soft water came in, and went out, went down the drain. And, and, the, and we did the math. That water cost them over $30,000 a year to, because they were using it as cooling water, cooling their, their packing gland. They changed the seals, uh, put in me- mechanical seals for $9,000. That's easy math. And, and all it was was, was using a, a, a bucket to catch water for a minute and saying, okay, we're flowing this many gallons a minute times this, times this. And we're using, you know, here's our water cost, here's our sewage cost. And, you know, and it was a no-brainer at that point. It gave them information to take up to get money approved to, to do something different. And the same thing with a controller. Um, whether you either A, come up with an option, or you educate them, uh, I think that's what you have to do with equipment. Yeah, that's the common thread. Whether it's their equipment, it's your equipment, you've got to educate them so they see why it's a problem. I think people either don't understand that it's a real problem, and maybe they don't want to sound like they're foolish because they don't ask the questions, so somebody explains it to them more. But if you can bring it back to the dollars like we're talking about, they will understand that. And especially when you attach it to an ROI, like you're going to fix this and you're going to start making money in a four-month period, that becomes a no-brainer. So if you can start talking with your customers and ask them how you can help them so they can help you. They might let you know that they don't have money in this particular budget, but maybe they do in another budget, and now you can start getting creative with how you can solve that problem. Now, let me ask you this, Mark. We're talking about neglect. What happens when you're reviewing the account or maybe you're taking over the account from another service rep in your company and you now realize that we've neglected the account in service. What do you do with that? The only thing you can do there is, is, is come in and talk about your approach. Um, if, if something, if you've neglected it from a service aspect, you, you should always service the account the way you feel that it should be serviced. So what I would say there is, is do what you do, which you know is right. And if a customer asks, well, you know, the previous, uh, the other guy didn't do this. And, you know, your, your approach should be, yeah, and all of us have our, has our way of, of servicing accounts. And I just think this gives me a better idea of what's going on. Um, and this is, you know, if you want to explain why you do it, that's fine. You don't want to go in and, and down talk your company's employees. Uh, save that for your when you take over from another vendor. You know, if you go in and explain, yeah, we, we do this and this is why we do this. Um, you know, it's always easy uh, to go in and explain why you do things because it helps me better understand your system. I want to better understand you. You know, I'm brand new. I want to look at things in a different manner. I don't have the history they had, et cetera. But you, you do have to, you know, um, let the customer know why it's important to, to address the service issues. So it is a matter of, of a lot of explaining, a lot of education, uh, and, and that's just do the right thing. Definitely agree with that. That's always a good motto, and it's always good to follow through with that. But let's face it, sometimes mistakes happen. Sometimes we miss something. Sometimes we thought the equipment did this, and maybe it did that when there was an issue. And then we find out that issue, and 
if you can now learn from that experience and you can talk with the customer and understand what's going on, nine times out of 10, they're going to allow you to fix that. Uh, if you're constantly trying to get better as a water treater and you're not going in and doing the same thing the same way every time you do it and you're looking for those potential ways to be better, you probably are going to find some things that you can do better. And that's before the mistake happens. So that's what I hope people get from this conversation is that don't keep doing the same thing the same way. Look at something, as you put, from your customer's mindset Look at it from if your competition came in and they were trying to take the business from you. And then what would you do differently if somebody were to bring that to your attention? And I would also say that let's say you take over an account from another employee of your business and you see something that you don't understand why they were doing something or you see a system that, well, they didn't tell me we were treating this system. Go back and have communication with that employee and say, hey, I was, I was, I was out at customer X um, and they pointed out this chilled water system over there that, that I don't see it on any of your, any of your reports. Are we responsible for that system? Because they, that may be a system that, that comes in contact with something and they just don't treat it or it may be a very old system that every time they have treated it, it's, it's caused issues and so they've just chosen not to treat that. So. Before you, you bring that up to the customer, get the knowledge from, from your company uh, personnel and find out, um, is there a reason why we're not doing this? They may have inherited it from someone else and they didn't know about it. And I have no idea what the system you're talking about. So by doing that, anytime you're a new service representative on an account, I'm looking around, looking for stuff, making sure there's not a better way to do things, making sure something hasn't been changed. Because the worst thing that can happen is, is you've got an account and they do some work somewhere and they tie into something and you learn about it six months later because now you've lost treatment in this system. Well, why did we lose treatment? The easy thing is just to add more treatment and get it back up. But you know what you've added is because they've just installed this, this new line back here, new air handler in another part of the building, all the construction debris that was in that line because it didn't get flushed and it didn't get cleaned and it didn't get properly treated, all that stuff is now back in your system and you've got to deal with it again. So anytime you have an unexpected level drop, you start seeing something that's out of the ordinary, then involve your customers. Hey, what, what, what went on in the last 60 days? Because I'm getting some really funky numbers that I've never seen before. Communication again. Um, you know, Just because you get a number doesn't mean that's just a new number. Run it again. I got a number. That, that, that's not normal. Well, run it again. Trust and verify, you know? And then, and then ask questions. We're there once, twice a month, maybe weekly if it's a very service-intensive account. We don't know everything that goes on. Mark, when I work with other water treaters, and one of the, one of the games I like to play is, let's see if Trace can steal your business. And I look for the cracks that if I was surveying the account, what I would bring to the customer's attention. And nine times out of 10, when I do that, I already saw those things on service reports that I reviewed going to that meeting. The rep doesn't ask, why do I get that number? They don't, they write something down and they move past it. They don't try to get the explanation to why something is happening, just like you explained. So I think a whole bunch can happen if we're talking to the customer, if we're talking to the other people that are servicing the account, we're asking questions, but we're also asking questions of ourselves. And that question is why 
am I getting that? Mark, I mentioned reports, and I love reports because as Jay Farmery said, if you don't write it down, it did not happen. I can't tell you how many times in my career I was so glad that either myself or one of my team members wrote something down because somebody that didn't understand water treatment was trying to say that something either wasn't said or something wasn't done, and we were able to prove that. With that, let's say we're reviewing reports and we find that something hasn't been tested like it should, something hasn't been noted like it should, and now we have neglect in our reports. What do we do then? So as soon as we realize that, that we have a system that hasn't been treated or hasn't been tested in a while, the first thing we got, when we, we've got to reestablish the, the, the normal, okay? Normal says we test these systems, we test these systems, we test those systems. And, and, and we, all of a sudden we've noticed that we've left off a, a certain system or closed water systems or one of those things. Oh, it's a closed water system. It doesn't change. Who cares? Well, we tested, you know, monthly. And then we said, well, you know what? We are really going to test that once a quarter. And, and then next thing you know, we realized that we haven't tested that system in a while. Okay. Well, why is that? Did, did the system shut down? Was it drained? Was it refilled? Or has it been working on? There may be some reason why that system was taken offline and it was taken out of our normal uh, routine. And then it was put back on and, and we just we forgot to add it back to the to the startup. So if that's the case, then honesty is the 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 key. We're going to come back and say hey, we uh, we've noticed that we have been not testing this system. We're going to go ahead and, and test it, make sure it's back up in the range, and we're going to go from there. And, and normally everything will be fine there because closed water systems are such that once you treat them, you really don't have to treat them again until we have some kind of an event. Well, Mark, I'm going to tell you, when you teach what should be on a service report when we get together at AWT at the technical training, there are always people there that are taking notes saying, I don't do that on my report. I don't do that on my report. And now they're thinking, even though they did everything that they should do on that report, they've now learned new information. So how do they integrate that information and not feel like they were messing up the entire time? I think the big thing is, is realizing who you are. Okay, and, and what you do. Even though we're called water treaters, we're actually treating the equipment. So you like to refer to us as heat transfer efficiency managers. We are maintaining the heat transfer of this, of this water and this air in, 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 the, in the processes in which we're treating. So if you go back and, and if we haven't done a good job of doing everything we should do, Tell the customer that, hey, you, you may notice uh, uh, some additional numbers on my report, and it's because we, we want to make sure that we are maintaining your chiller as efficiently as we can. We're maintaining your boiler as efficiently as we can. We want to make sure that we know what the current operation status of this softener, this boiler, this chiller is each and every time we're here so we can detect small changes and we can point things out or make adjustments before they become detrimental to the equipment. So we're all learning. And if we talk about these things and share why we're gonna start doing things, I think there again, it, it eases the transition from what we weren't doing to what we are doing. You know, I'm thinking as we're speaking on neglected accounts, it almost sounds like we're talking about pretty much potentially every account. I know that as I listen to scaling up a lot of times, I'll sit back and say, I'm not doing all of that. And, and it'll kind of rejuvenate me and, uh, 
and then I get complacent a little bit, and then then I realize, hey, I got to pick this up, uh, or I get a customer who I say month after month after month, we need to do this, we need to do this, we do this, and in my head, I get tired of repeating it over and over and over again, and, and I've sent a letter, I've done this, I've done that, and they're just not going to do it, and and there is a point where you've got to tell yourself that that you know. I'm willing to put my name on so much, and there comes a point where maybe I need to transition you away from being customer. Oh, so now you're actually talking about firing the customer. Well, we're going to transition them to somebody else. Do, do you remember the way that Dan Perry at Chick-fil-A? I do, and that's why I'm saying it the way that I'm saying it. He said when he had an employee that just was not working out at his restaurant, he would promote them to customers. And you guys, just because there's a cooling tower or a boiler out there doesn't mean that you need to be treating it. Uh, a lot of times we look at, oh, well, that's a small cooling tower. I'm not going to treat that. I'm not, not going to go call on them because there's not enough revenue to, to compensate me for my time. But what you don't understand is that small cooling tower may have had enough issues that money is not an issue. And you can get the money you need to compensate you for your time in that small tower. Or that large cooling tower, um, you know, they, they're not going to do it right anyway. And all it's going to do is, is it's going to cause you more aggravation and stress. And, and I don't know if you've ever been fired from a customer. I have. And sometimes it's very frustrating because it hurts you've been fired. Yeah, you take that personally. Absolutely. Other times... I've been relieved. I no longer have to deal with so-and-so. And and so, you know, you can only do the best you can, okay? And we have to look that we're all a team. The water treatment vendor, the employees, the service technician team from the mechanical contractor that looks after it, the building owners or, or plant managers, we're all a team. And if we don't all share the same common goals, there's always going to be friction. And in our work-life balance, has to be, I enjoy what I do. And if you don't enjoy what you're doing, find another job, you've said that, and I'm, and I'm good at it. Now, if there's something that you need to improve on, get better at what you do. But if there's nothing that you can do and all it's gonna do is cause you stress, that stress that you pick up at this account is gonna spill over to another account and another account. And now we're gonna have those customers who are good customers are not gonna be getting your best because this other company is sucking it out of you. Mark, I'm going to say that is the bottom line of this entire episode. You summed it up beautifully. So folks, if you want to skip past all that other stuff we've been talking about and just listen to the last two minutes, I think that is the bottom line message of how we need to be looking not only at our job, every customer interaction, and then also every single account. Uh, Mark, I just looked, and it was episode 44. That was Daniel Perry's episode uh, where he came on and talked to us about Chick-fil-A. And I have just remembered that I have not asked you any lightning round questions since episode 34. So I think you're due. Okay. So here is the first brand new lightning round question. Mark, what is your superpower? I would say that my superpower is being able to remain calm and, and not respond in an angry manner when uh, accused of something. And I've seen this. I, I, will, I will bite my tongue. 
I will adjust my glasses um, and I'll take everything I can. But then I think Popeye said I can't stand it no more. I've seen that too. And, and, and when I've had it, I've had it. But normally we're able to, to part ways before that happens. Mark, if you could change anything in the world, what would it be? Well, you know, Trace, um, we talk a lot about giving back um, to what we do in, in to water treatment through the AWT, through et cetera. A lot of folks don't know, but but my wife and I have a charity called Hope Laugh Play, and we take Lego sets into hospitals and allow kids that are undergoing cancer or diabetes or uh, MDA or things like that um, through some rough things. And, and, and we, we take those Lego sets in, let them play with them, let them keep them once we're done with them. And it allows that kid to be a kid again. And if I could change anything in the world, not that I want to push, I would, I would do away with some of these bad, harmful diseases that affect children. I think kids have got to have a, a fighting chance and to put some of the kids through some of these things. We've got to let kids be kids. I, I, I would really wish that, you know, the bad things would be because of our choices that we make or our actions. I, yeah, I hate it when things happen to people and they struggle and it's nothing that they've done, they've done on their own. Um, it just kills me. Whether it's surgeries, asthmas. I mean, a lot of, we've, I've seen a lot of kids in, in bad shape and I want to bring joy to those kids. So I would, I would want to be able to take care of children better. Mark, you mentioned Hope Laugh Play, and I have had the privilege of volunteering with you in this organization. You had me go with you, and for a little over an hour, we helped children put together Legos. And you're right. Uh, I believe there was a lady there, uh, a young lady that was undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, somebody else had some sort of surgery that they were, I mean, they were, they were not being kids. They were having to deal with these really adult problems. But for that hour and a half that they were sitting there with us, they were kids again. It is truly amazing, the association, the organization that you and your wife created. So I, I want to let Scanlon Nation know about that. It's called Hope Laugh Play. And it's an organization so these kids can have hope and they can laugh and they can play, maybe just for an hour, but they can be kids again. And you provide the Legos, they just provide, the hospital just provides a, a library or a room where they can come. If somebody wants to learn more information about your organization, what should they do? We have a website, we have a Facebook page. And, and first off, my wife and I didn't create it. It was created by uh, a couple people who got together and, and they were the founders and we've just continued that on. So uh, I can't take credit for, for founding it, but I've been a part of it since 2014. Um, but Hope Laugh Play, look us up on the World Wide Web, hopelaughplay.org. Uh, there's a website. Uh, you can see some pictures. You can see some things we do. You can donate there. You can uh, go to our Amazon wish list and buy Legos and have those shipped to us. You know, we need three things. We need money. We need people. We need uh, Legos. And I don't care how, what order you do. Some people have money. They don't have time. So they'll, they'll, donate through PayPal. They'll write us a check, et cetera. Some people want to volunteer and experience it. And then some people don't have time to attend some of our events. They don't want to really give you cash because they want you, don't want you misappropriating their cash. That's fine. I need Legos. I don't need cash if I have Legos. 
So you can use our Amazon wish list and go in and select the Lego sets that you would like to provide and have those shipped right to us. The website is something that is more stagnant, doesn't get updated as much. But if you really want to see what we're doing, visit our Facebook page. That's Hope, Laugh, Play, Inc., I-N-C. And um, uh, we do events in Charlotte and Atlanta, both. We have uh, a group of volunteers in Atlanta. We serve two hospitals here, uh, Choa Eggleston and, and Choa Scottish Rite. And in Charlotte, we do Levine's uh, Children's Hospital. And, and then we do, which is really fun, uh, some summer camps. We do Camp Sunshine, which is for kids who are currently undergoing uh, cancer treatment who are, have had cancer. We got the same camp in Charlotte called Camp CARE, and CARE stands for Cancer Ain't Really the End. And we did that last August, and I had a blast. I'm an instigator, so my job is to come around and, and help kids get out of the tough parts, but then I like to start picking on people. And it's kind of hard because sometimes I overstep my boundaries. And um, we had one, one little boy who had had an eye surgery, and we put together this Lego. And it had a shooting mechanism where you put this Lego on and push this button, it shot this thing out. And I said, you gotta be careful, you'll shoot your good eye out. <laughs> well, my wife, Kathy, said I couldn't say it, but he and his mom thought it was hilarious. But, um, but we also do camps going uh, for kids with MDA, muscular dystrophy, uh, autism. Uh, we do some camps for uh, Camp Sunshine where they do um, uh, nights out for the parents. We recently did an event in Charlotte for uh, foster kids. Some people know or may not know that I am also a foster parent. Um, and we've got a little guy that lives with us right now. Um, and we have been given a date of November 25th to adopt him. He's been with us for three and a half years, and we're just tickled that um, even though he's part of our heart, uh, legally November 25th, he will be part of our family, and uh, we're looking for what uh, God has in store for us with that. So um, www.hopelaughplay.org and uh, Hope Laugh Play Inc. on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter and that other stuff too, but I don't do that other stuff, so... <laughs> You know, you have this hard, crunchy exterior, but deep inside, you're just a softy. Mark, what would you say your proudest accomplishment is? That's really a tough one. You know, it, and I think those change. You've recently interviewed um, the youngest CWT. Now, at what, 22 years old? Right, Chandler Mancuso. I was 29, but I was 98. You are 182? Yes. And I think Bruce Ketrick Sr. is 155. Uh, not bragging, but just throwing facts out there for you guys. But uh, at, at that time, I was—I I think I was the second youngest CWT. I was, I was never the youngest. But, but back when I took mine in 97, it was a test. Now, Angela may be uh, offering the exam today, but this was a test. And this was a 350-question test. It was divided up in sections. Each section was timed. You had 40 minutes for this one, 30 minutes for that one. You couldn't go forward. You couldn't go back. And um, so when I received that I passed, it had to be one of my proudest moments. Um, and then um, if you go back to pass that, probably um, three years ago, almost, almost three years ago, I became a granddad. And now I'm a granddad of three girls. But I'll tell you, um, I still feel very young at heart. Uh, I still, th I have realized I can't do what I 
could do. Stop talking like this. You're making me feel old. Well, you are old. But um, anyway, so I've, I've, uh, being a granddad is, is, is fun. And I think any granddad will tell you that. So uh, um, those, being there serving others is probably ranks right up there as some of my proudest moments. Mark, final question. At the end of your life, what do you want people to know you for? Just that I made a difference. You know, so many of us uh, live this life and we live it about us. And, and there's so many things that I do is about me. Um, you know, if, if my wife was here, she would disagree with everything I say. But um, if I can make life easier for somebody else, and I'm not, I don't want to give it to you. I don't want to enable you to do something or to, to get to a certain point. But I do want to walk beside people and, and help them have a better life, however that is. So why do I train with, with the, the AWT? Well, it's because Bruce asked me or you asked me. Somebody, somebody asked me. It was, no, it's, it's because I, I, want to, I want to take what I have and make life easier for someone else. But at the same time, I want to hold them accountable for what they receive and so they can feel that I've earned it. I don't want them to say, Mark gave it to me. I earned this. I worked for this. And I just want to be in the background pushing them. So um, that Mark helped me get where I, where I got. Well, Mark, you said earlier that you and I talk on a regular basis almost every morning. We're talking about some water treatment issue that we're having. So I can say without a doubt, you have done that for me. You have pushed me to become better than I would have been if I didn't know you. So you're already on your way. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Anytime, Tracy. Scaling Up Nation, as you can tell, Mark and I have a lot of fun when we get together. And a little secret, we recorded this back in November. Mark worked with one of the guys that I work with, Chris Kersey, and they set up a, a whole sting where they wanted to interrupt where I was recording something for the podcast. I had all my all my equipment on ready to go. And so that way Mark could take over without me knowing about it. And I had everything all set up for him. So they orchestrated where, where Mark came in. He was going to watch me. And then Chris had an emergency or he needed my help with something. I think it was something in the lab that apparently couldn't wait. And when I came back, Mark was already doing the intro for the show and if you haven't heard, that was episode 112, where Mark interviews me. And then right after that, we recorded what you just heard. And Mark was very gracious. He shared uh, the PowerPoint that he did for the AWT Young Professionals webinar. So we've got that on our show notes page. So be sure to check that out. And by the way, after we were done with that recording, Mark and I got on a tour bus, my dive shop. I think many of you know I'm a scuba dive instructor. It's one of my favorite things to do is to get underwater and see a world that we're not supposed to be in. And, uh, and it's just incredible. Anyway, the dive shop that I work with, they own a Provost tour bus. It has 12 sleeping berths in it. It definitely is a luxury coach. And we leave uh, Thursday evening to wake up in the Florida Keys where we dive all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then come home ready to go to work Monday morning. I lead that trip about two times a year. Mark's normally one of the people that go on that trip with me. 
And uh, it's one of my favorite things to do and great guy to do that with. So right after we finished this episode, we then went on that trip and we, we had a great dive trip. The, it was a little bit rough for those of you that have been on boats. Um, the first day were probably two and three foot swells. And the last day was six foot. And if you know anything about being on boats, six foot is a little rough when you're on smaller boats. Uh, especially when you're with people that aren't on boats regularly. I tell you, I normally do not get seasick from movement, but diesel fumes, uh, they just give me a headache. I cannot stand diesel fumes. There was a dive shop that I worked with. They're not around anymore. They used to be in Key West. And they wanted to keep their fuel on the water. And the only way that they could do that was they had to use converted French fry oil into uh, fuel. So that's exactly what they did. They uh, converted their boats to run that. And by the way, I think that was just a simple hose and some O-rings that they had to replace. It was a very easy conversion. And folks, when you were on the back of that boat, it smelled like either nachos or french fries. I loved that. And of course, you're always hungry when you were scuba diving. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you have some ideas for some new episodes. And if you do, you can go to scalinguph2o.com. Let me know what that idea is. You can do that two ways. You can go to my show ideas button, click on that, and type up exactly what your idea is, who you want me to interview. Or on the right side of the screen, you will see an orange pop-up that says record voicemail, and you can send me your very own voice asking me your question. I'll get it on the air. I'll play it and I will get your question answered. Folks, thank you for listening to Scaling Up and I can't wait to talk with you next week on another great episode of Scaling Up H2O.